0: This is huskeronline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washet, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, huskeronline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. And welcome to a late July edition
1: of the Husker Online.com podcast. Sean Callahan with Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen. Nate Klaus will not be with us this week. He is somewhere in the middle of the Black Hills uh, at a wedding. So, Nate will have the week off here on the podcast. But, um, you know, here we are. We're getting closer and closer to the start of football season. We've had... SEC media days already, Big 12 media days, ACC media days. Well, the Big Ten media days will take place here next week. So we thought in this edition of the HOL podcast, we'll preview uh, what's to come in Chicago. And it's going to be a new format, guys. Um, You know, One of the things I used to kind of like about the Big Ten media days was how efficient it was. They would just kind of get a lot done that first day where all the teams would... Do kind of the upfront portion, and it was just like an assembly line. Then the second morning, um, you know, you're out of there by 10 a.m. if you wanted to be. Uh, Well, when the conference expanded to 14 teams, I think they determined that it was just too many teams to do in one day. Um, And, you know, guys like Tevin Coleman last year, for example, Mm. um, or a David Cobb at Minnesota, they weren't getting much exposure because when you only have one day, you know, Melvin Gordon and Amir Abdullah and those guys got all the attention. So they wanted to kind of refocus or reformat it a little bit. So um, they will break this up. Um, and it will run over two full days instead of basically being like a 24 hour event. It's going to be uh, more like a closer to a 48 hour event.
2: I think it's just going to make for a better overall product. I mean, obviously from our standpoint that, uh, while the first, that one day format was efficient, it was a grind a little bit. And I think by the end of it, uh, you know, the questions got a little, uh, uh less, uh, enthused and, uh, you know, the, the, Players, You know, their responses probably weren't uh, as animated as they might be. So I think having a, an extra day there to break things up a little bit will uh, provide for some better content and uh, an overall better experience for everyone.
3: Well, yeah, I think kind of like Robin mentioned too. now, at least to my understanding, you know, these players are really only players and coaches are really only required to speak to the media one day as opposed to two. So I do think they might have, you know, maybe a little more energy, a little more enthusiasm, not quite as many just canned uh you know bland answers and you know that's just good for everyone all around
1: they're going to have so Thursday July 30th it will kick off um at about noon and end at 5:15 and the seven teams that will go Thursday Michigan State Illinois Wisconsin Maryland Indiana Ohio State and Iowa I mean as you can see some pretty good balance and I think one of the things, I know Keith Mann, the media relations director for Nebraska, his he told me his advice to the Big Ten was do what the Big 12 used to do. Do not have Oklahoma and Texas on the same day. Do not have Ohio State and Michigan on the same day. And obviously that makes a ton of sense if you want to keep guys in town for both days. Uh, so Ohio State will anchor day one, but you also have Michigan State and Wisconsin in there. Um, so there will be a lot to do. Go through on that first day uh, with the national champions in Ohio State, uh, but then day two is Nebraska, Minnesota, Michigan, Northwestern, Penn State, Purdue, Rutgers. So you basically got three of the big brands on each day. Uh, Nebraska, Michigan, and Penn State on day two. Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State on day one. Um, but they're going to break up day two, guys. So eight um, eight a.m. It will kick off early. Uh, but there will be a break from 11.30 to 2 for that lunch. And let me tell you, that lunch does go to about 2. It's uh, the Big Ten luncheon at this uh, Media Days event. It's kind of the centerpiece of what they do down there. Last year, Amir Abdullah uh, gave the big speech. Every single coach and person talks. I mean, it is a two-hour-plus event. Um, And then after that, um, they'll do um, Nebraska, and the other teams will have the second part of their day, and that will go to about 5.45.
2: Do we know who the speaker is? for that uh, luncheon?
1: You know, I think they – since it wasn't somebody from Nebraska – Yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah. well, Understandable. I, I didn't really uh, look. But I think they have already announced that. I, I'd assume they have uh, at this point. I know last year the Amir Abdullah he was able to do it as the first Nebraska player. And mm-hmm. usually it's, it's something they try to probably pass it around, I would think, where mm-hmm. you don't want to have, you know, an Ohio State guy speak three right. years in a row.
2: Well, going back to your point about uh, breaking uh, things up the way they did, I think that they – did a good job adhering to Keith Mann's advice by uh, doing a good mix of, like you said, balancing it out with the kind of the big marketable teams uh, on each day. Because uh, you could easily do by division. Well, if they did by division, that would be, I, I'd almost be kind of embarrassed to see what the turnout would be for the Big Ten West. Yeah. I mean, after Nebraska would go. Uh,
3: You've arguably kinda... got the three most interesting teams slash coaches in the conference oh, are right. all in the
1: East. <laughs> and, so and a just, lot of people yeah. might leave. Well, after James that Franklin, well, too.
3: That I was including him. Oh,
1: Mark Antonio.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, Michigan. Jim
1: Harbaugh enter. I'd say 4. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But then like how how many people would
2: stick yeah, around for Paul Christ or Illinois
1: and Purdue it would yeah, well, it'd and, be and, awkward. Yeah, you look at the West. It is kind of the nice guy division. I mean, Paul Christ is the ultimate kind of nice guy, Christian guy. Mike Riley is that way. Kirk, Jerry Kill, Jerry Kill, you know Kirk, Kirk Ferentz, um, you know he's he's pretty dry. Uh, so I think when you look at Daryl Hazel, I mean, if he walked into Starbucks, I don't think anyone. <laughs> so I think if you mix it up that way, you at least obviously do a pretty good job of um, you know breaking it apart. But what's interesting, guys, is I kind of like this, but I understand why they got rid of it. Was that second day they had those round tables mm-hmm. and you would have was it ni- it was ninety minutes? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and you would just I mean. It, it went on forever. It did. And, and Bo Pelini hated it.
3: <laughs> he was he was a fish out
2: of water. And I remember the the conversation would just like devolve into like where he gets his stakes in Lincoln, uh, you know, questions like that. So uh, while you were able to get some real candid uh, interviews by about, you know, an hour in, it was uh, kind of a, one of those deals where you're trying to figure out what to talk about next.
3: The thing that I loved about it personally is it kind of gives you a chance to go around and talk to guys from different schools. I know the last couple of years like yeah. last year I went around and asked other quarterbacks and offensive linemen about Randy Gregory and got some really good quotes and 2 years ago I went and asked defensive backs and linebackers about Taylor Martinez and and what you know they thought of him and what he brought to the table so that kind of allowed you to get some outside opinions some new voices that uh you know our readers
1: aren't always used to hearing and you'll still get that what they've done though I think is tried to accommodate the TV guys so mm-hmm. there's going to be 30 minutes of podium where every player and coach will be on a podium for a certain amount of time. And then they'll move over to round tables for an hour. Um, because I, I do think the TV guys kind of used to get the shaft at this format yeah. before when they did the 90 minute thing at the round tables, it really wasn't set up for a TV camera you could, I mean, Nebraska media did bring it in there. Uh, but it was just kind of awkward to, try to shove a TV camera around a banquet table um, where now I think it's set up more conducively for the TV guys uh, to get more out of those kind of private sessions.
2: No doubt. And a lot of times in those round table settings, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a question in sometimes, especially early on. Uh, you know, because a lot of the print guys, national guys, will dominate the conversation a little bit. And so, for TV guys that, you know, want to get that one on one interview, uh, you know, that it'll give them a little bit better chance because they'll be able to get their upfront podium portion and then get to focus on what they missed out on uh, in the later part.
1: All right. We've totally gone inside baseball on yes. Big Ten Media <laughs> Days. And we've examined every portion. If you're still listening to the Husker <laughs> Online podcast, we have a full show. We're going to preview Chicago, uh, we're going to talk Nebraska storylines, we're going to talk uh, on offense and defense. We're going to give our takes on the Big Ten West and the Big Ten East. Um, So this will be a full preview of what's to come. We'll have full coverage, obviously, next week in Chicago. Uh, Robin and Dan and our um, great video producer, Greg Peterson, the four of us, uh, will be on a pizza barbecue tour, and we'll also cover Big Ten Media Days. And by Dan, you need to start figuring out um, the barbecue food places.
3: Uh, Don't worry. I'm actually going up to Chicago this weekend with my dad for some Cubs games, so I've already got a couple places scouted out that I think You know, we're gonna try some new things this weekend, and then weigh that against some of the things that we've done in Chicago previously. We're back
1: at the McCormick Place, though, so we are off the path. We're no longer at the downtown Hilton; Uh, they've moved it back out to the huge convention center hotel, which is a good distance, fifteen minutes away from kind of the action. So I'm I'm a little bummed about that, but. Hey, we'll figure it out.
2: Nothing a cab ride can't solve.
3: <laughs> no longer at the, the hotel where the
1: fugitive was filmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> All right. that's enough. I digress. We come back here on the podcast. We will talk Nebraska storylines in Chicago. Both Tommy Armstrong and Jordan Westerkamp will be representing
0: the Huskers. That's next here on the podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the podcast, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washet, as we're
1: getting set to head out to Chicago next week and we're going to preview everything you need to know about going into the 2015 Big Ten Media Days. As this is kind of the calm before the storm. Uh, Nebraska will open up fall camp. Uh, the first day of practice is scheduled actually for Thursday, August 6th. Um, so this is almost kind of the week before it all starts. Um, and it, it, they run it a little bit later. SEC does theirs a lot earlier. Um, SEC does theirs four days. Um, I think Big Ten likes the later approach to kind of get it closer to the start of practice dates. Um, so we'll be in Chicago Wednesday to Friday uh, bringing you full coverage. And um, as we bring in Dan Hoppen and Robin Washett guys, we're going to talk about the offensive storylines. And I'm going to throw this out here first. I think clearly uh, with Tommy Armstrong being there, um, just how he's going to fit this system. I mean, it's going to be a broken record. That question's going yeah. to be asked uh, a thousand times.
2: And it has been asked a thousand times over the course of spring ball and really since – uh, Mike Riley and his staff were uh, assembled here, and I think that's it's a pretty legitimate question too, because I don't think we really got much clarity coming out of spring ball of you know what this offense is exactly going to look like and how Tommy is going to adjust to this new system and, and how the coaches are going to adjust to the system.
3: And you know, let's be completely honest, Tommy did not look great in spring ball, not by any means, and no, none of the quarterbacks really did. But Tommy, he definitely had some struggles. But for me, I keep going back to that bowl game that Nebraska had against USC where Tim Beck kind of got to call his own offense. He called a lot of short passes, a lot of slants, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of screen passes and swing passes to receivers. And I thought that was arguably Tommy's best game of the season. I think that's what we're going to see a little bit more under Mike Riley and Danny Langs are some of those shorter passes, not quite as much stuff down the field. So that might play right into Tommy's strengths.
1: You know, it was interesting. One of the Big Ten coaches um, in an anonymous uh, poll, I don't know if it was an Athlon deal. It was an Athlon, yeah. uh, Said that Armstrong is just, quote-unquote, a guy. And that's definitely moved the waters here a lot locally um, and, you know, I, I, I was asked this question on another talk radio show this week, and I said, you know, he there are games, Michigan State, Purdue, Rutgers. Yeah, he was just a guy in those mm-hmm. games. But then there are other games like Iowa, um, like USC. Um, he was a difference maker. So I, I think you can say there were games, and he would probably agree. I mean, the Purdue game and the Rutgers game, those two games, he played terrible. Mm-hmm. and I mean, they won handily both games, but not because of
3: him. Well, I think even when you go back to that Iowa game, he was fantastic in the second half. But if you go back and watch that first half, Nebraska's offense really stalled out time and time again. And he didn't look, you know, at all like the player that came out after halftime. So I think a big thing for Tommy is being able to find that consistency because you're right. I I do think Tommy is better than being, you know, just an average starting quarterback or just a guy. As this coach called him, but he's got to find that consistency because, like you mentioned, I mean, even you know, go back to the McNeese State game. That's a, that's not even a you know a Division One team that Tommy really really struggled against.
1: Yeah, his deep ball is great. I mean, when he has the deep ball on, he can throw a deep ball as good as anybody in the division or the conference. But obviously, with the short game, the Michigan State game is what stands out to me. They had a lot of two on ones, three on twos, in the number game. And all he had to do was get the ball to guys like Kenny Bell in a, in a little, you know, quick hitch route. And he couldn't make those passes.
2: And this kind of goes back to how he's going to adapt to this new system because this passing game is revolved around eliminating uh, thinking too much in the pocket. You know, get the ball out quickly and have timing routes and know where you're going to go with it. And I think as long as Tommy like doesn't overthink things and lock in on one guy, I think a lot of those mistakes we've seen over the past two years are going to go down.
1: Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett we're talking storylines. And another storyline here for Nebraska on offense, I'm going to do my best impersonation of just an over-serious reporter. (laughs) Coach, how do you go about replacing Amir Abdullah... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: yes that's that you nailed it that one yeah Uh, as for the answer of it they're not they're not going to do it with one guy they're going to do it by committee and uh you know regardless of who the starter is i think you're going to see you know two probably even three backs you know play pretty heavily in that rotation and uh you don't just replace a guy like amir abdullah i mean he's one of the most statistically productive running backs in school history Uh, and so to ask you know one of these guys they have coming up this year to to fill those shoes i think is you know just uncalled for. And so it'll be a by committee approach, and uh, you know I think they'll they'll be able to get by without him. I think
3: this is kind of new new ground for Nebraska, at least in recent years. It seems like every time they've kind of a running back has graduated, they've had another one mm-hmm. waiting in the wings. All of them were NFL guys. Yeah, you, I mean we, you went right from Roy Hallou, you know, into Rex Burkhead. Once Rex Burkhead graduated, you're into Amir Abdullah. But now you don't have that set guy there. It looks like at least at the end of spring ball, Terrell Newby was the guy who'd started to create a little bit of separation. He got, um, you know, most of the first team reps early on in the spring game before he had a minor injury. So it looks like he might get the first crack at it. But like Robin said, there's probably three or four guys who are probably going to get some pretty heavy carries here. Yeah,
1: you'd have to go back to probably 0203. Um, when Crouch left, and then Darren Diedrich struggled without Crouch, and then the next year Josh Davis was the starter mm-hmm. at that point, and then Corey Ross took the job from him late in the year. I mean, there hasn't been kind of this kind of uncertainty at a running back since probably that o two o three type run. Um, then Corey Ross came in, then Brandon Jackson, then it's kind of been an NFL – Marlon Lucky, yeah. Kenny Wilson was a talented back. Even um, – Cody Glenn, you know, he yeah. was a great runner. Quinn
3: Castile was, as a kind of a compliment to Roy Hulu, was good.
1: They've always had, yeah, guys that you could count on, uh, at least one. So this will be interesting. And <laughs> offensive lines, another thing on they have numbers, right. uh, but the injuries just um, have left so many questions. Um, and then the way they divided up teams in the spring with the red and the white, it was hard to kind of know who your number ones and number twos were because there were some number ones on the white and there were some number ones on the reds.
2: Yeah, and I think they'd, that was a good thing that they did that too because with that uncertainty, you want to get as many looks at guys as possible, and I think you know with that format uh, they were able to give some guys some reps that might not necessarily have been able to, to show what they can do uh, in the, the previous format, so I think that uh, while there's you know nothing really said outside of Alex Lewis on that starting front, the coaching staff was able to get a pretty good idea of what they have to work with, and I think that they're going to have a much better grasp of what that line is going to look like going into fall camp.
3: Yeah, it's just interesting. There are so many different directions that Nebraska can go here. I mean, you can kind of go with the veteran guys who have never really been starters before, like, you know, Givens Price and Chongo Condolo and, and Dylan Utter and guys like that. Or maybe you know maybe some of these redshirt freshmen that we've heard so much about, the Gerald Fosters, the Nick Gates, the Tanner Farmers, maybe they come out, have some strong early season performances, and they kind of steal some of the playing time. So I think this coaching staff has a number of ways it can go. But like you said, Robin, Alex Lewis is really the only guy set in stone right I'd now. I'd say
1: Chungo is pretty darn He's close. He's pretty close.
3: And stir up at right tackle maybe too.
1: Yeah, and then Gibbons is an experienced swing guy that can play tackle, guard, Ryan Reeves to me is still the the X factor. I mean, they need him to be the starting center. If he's Mm -hmm.
2: healthy, he's the starter. Yeah.
1: I know they're counting on that. I mean, he should be the guy, and they need him to be the guy. Dylan Utter is another wild card at guard, Um, but I just don't see Paul Thurston being the guy at center that could take them very far. Um, He's just not yet, at least. Not yet. Yeah. He's just not ready uh, for that deal. The last thing here, guys, wide receiver you know Jordan Westercamp Demorne Pearsonell Westercamp will be in Chicago and I think the track record Mike Riley and Danny Langstorf have with receivers and the numbers they've put up these two guys, and even our Brandon Riley, I think they're they're poised for big years.
2: Yeah, I'll let Dan talk more about DeMornay-Pierce Snell just because he's kind of examined what he could potentially be in this offense, but for Jordan, uh, what I've noticed just from my interactions with him at some of the camps uh, that they've had this summer is just his maturity level, and I think he's really embracing this leadership role. Uh, I think that he's going to be a great representative for Nebraska. Especially with
1: Kenny Bell gone. I mean, yeah. Bell, Bell mm-hmm. kind of dominated the locker room, and now, now he's gone, so you need some other guys to step yeah, up. Yeah,
2: and so I think you know, Jordan is clearly the veteran uh, leader in that receiver group and maybe even in the locker room in general. And uh, I think he, you know, DeMornay might get more of the hype, but uh, Jordan is certainly going to be in for a big year as well.
3: Well, you know, and talking about Demorne, it's kind of been said time and time again, but you have to look at that track record at Oregon State with kind of these smaller, quicker receivers that Mike Riley had. You can go back to James Rogers, then you go into Marcus Wheaton, then you go to Brandon Cooks. These guys were all extremely productive players, who not only caught passes, but they were used in the running game as well. I think DeMornay fits in great. And again, I hate to just keep going back to the bowl game, but you go back, you look at Nebraska's performance against USC. Uh, DeMornay had season highs in both catches and and yards that game lots of just quick hitting stuff just getting the ball in his hands and letting him work with it i think that he's going to be a little neutralized on special teams this year because yeah. teams are going to kick away from him but he'll have just as big if not bigger of an impact overall because i think he's going to be used in a ton of ways offensively
1: Well, guys we'll preview defensive storylines
0: in chicago next year in the podcast this is huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics Back here on the podcast, Sean Callahan, Dan Hopp, and Robin Washett as we get
1: ready to head out to Chicago next week for the Big Ten Conference Media Days. We've talked Husker storylines going into Chicago here in the last segment. Now we're going to shift over to defense. And, um, you know, this is interesting, too, because um, Bo Pelini was such a defensive oriented coach. He recruited some talented players on defense, developed some good players uh, over his run at Nebraska. Um, but now not a single coach on that staff. You know, has connections, obviously, to Pelini on offense or defense. I mean, there was Charlton Warren um, for a short while. Then he left uh, to take that North Carolina position. Um, the one thing I think we all can agree with is the defensive line, I think, is probably the strength of this team. I know in our top 40 Huskers, uh, Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine were our number one and number two players overall on this football team. And if they're going to do something on defense, it's going to start up front. Yeah.
2: No doubt. I mean, obviously, Malik Collins is you know not only one of the best defensive tackles uh, in the conference, but maybe even nationally as well. And I think the, the, how good he is almost overshadows how good Vincent Valentine has become, especially over the course of last season. And you know, we talk about a defense that's really kind of adjusting to a new coaching staff. Having that type of foundation up front, right in the heart of your defense, will be invaluable
3: for this team. And I'll keep saying it: I, if he could stay healthy, and it's a big if at this point, but Kevin Williams as that third defensive tackle, I think he would. Start for a lot of teams in the Big Ten. He's really talented, you know, and then you you go even behind those guys. Kevin Maurice. Kevin Maurice has been a productive guy when he's gotten his chances, which haven't come all that often. But, and then you've got the Davis twins coming in as true freshmen. Who knows, you know, if they'll Mick get Stoltenberg? Mick, Mick Stoltenberg looked great in the spring. So, up the middle, I think you're very strong. It's in those ends where there's a little bit of a question. Greg McMullen, very good player, not a great pass rusher. Uh, Jack Gangwish plays his heart out. I think he's going to have a good year, but he's still looking for his first full sack. And behind those two guys, I mean, you've just got question mark after question mark. So the depth at defensive end, I think, is one of the biggest concerns, not only just for the defense, but for the whole team.
1: And I would, I wouldn't be surprised if this happened, but I could see at times this year Malik Collins playing on the edge. Mm-hmm. I just think if you're trying to get your best guys on the field at once – and you want Kevin Williams to be on there at times. It makes sense to probably play Malik on the edge and sub out one of those DNs, uh, just because I don't see a Freedom Akamaladin uh, Laden being ready to roll at, at one of those spots. Um, then you know, Joe Keels, and AJ, some, Natter, uh, AJ and Natter Cedric,
3: I mean, can't, you know, those guys haven't shown us anything. Yeah, man. they
1: just don't have the edge guys to get to a quarterback. And I think if you if you're gonna sub somebody on you want kevin williams in there and if you're trying to keep collins on the field maybe it makes sense to use him on the edge of times we'll see what they do this year I, I i don't think anything's off the table at this
2: point no and i think he might be you know arguably one of their best pass rushers too so uh, certainly makes sense to get that guy move him around to different spots and put him in positions where uh, he can go be disruptive and make plays for you
1: now all the questions guys this year on defense i think will be around linebacker um i mean they just Pelini just left the cupboard bare. I mean, they they were left with nothing at those positions, uh, whether it goes back to recruiting misses, guys having off-campus issues, whatever. There's no linebackers. And, you know, just to try to get this group to where it needs to be has been a challenge. They're counting heavily on Josh Banderas, uh, but really he's only played one complete game where he's made a lot of plays, and that was the bowl game.
3: Yeah, and I mean, the other guy that you're leaning really heavily on is Michael rose Ivy, who's a guy who's coming off uh, an ACL injury. He hasn't played in, you know, almost a year and a half now. So th- those are two guys that Nebraska needs <laughs> to be that guy right away because, you know, all the other guys in there are going to be, you know, either true freshmen or guys who just have, a, you know, not a lot of playing experience. Losing David Santos, I mean, he had, he had his warts. He was not a perfect player. But losing him um, earlier this summer, this is where that really hurts because he brings that experience and he gives you more depth.
1: And he's made plays for a long time, there's no doubt. I mean, I go back to that Penn State game in 2012. I mean, mm-hmm. he forced that fumble, controversial fumble at the goal line that helped Nebraska win the game and win the division. So he had made a lot of plays, and no matter how you say yeah, he's losing Santos is a loss. I, I think for me, guys, another thing I want to watch with his staff – is how they adjust to a new league. Uh, I think coming from the Pac-12 and other leagues where these coaches have been from, Hank Hughes is the AAC. um, Obviously, I think it's key having uh, Brian Stewart. I mean, he he had Big Ten experience at Maryland uh, the last couple of years, but – how will they adjust to the different schemes and, and personnel groupings that maybe they're not as familiar with. Right.
2: And we saw, you know, Bo Pelini and his staff take some time to adjust to that coming over from the big 12 too. So it is an adjustment because, you know, obviously the PAC 12 has some, you know, pretty potent, you know, spread out offenses that, uh, you know, like to, you know, move pretty quickly. Whereas the big 10, you got your Minnesotas of the league that will just, you know, punch you in the mouth, three downs and, you know, just grind you, grind you into the dirt. So uh, there's going to be an adjustment for them to kind of adapt and, you know, it, what's interesting about the big 10 is the variety of offenses to get, you know, where well, you have your Minnesota, you also have, you know, Northwestern. Ohio, yeah. Northwestern that'll, you know, do spread you out, you know, similar to what they saw in the PAC 12. So the, it's, it's going to be interesting because you can't just say, generalize. These are what big 10 offenses are because you're going to see something different every single week.
1: Tim Beck once told me something interesting. He goes, you look at Ohio state and what they do. He goes, they resemble a big 12 offense. What they do on offense and the style they run, it was kind of like the heyday of the Big 12 offenses, but they have the elite personnel doing yeah. it, and that's what made them so successful, having all those skill players that are four- and five-star guys with a great scheme that we saw in the Big 12 for many, many years have success. And and that's what gave them success. But then you mentioned you've got to be prepared to play Minnesota, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, Iowa, and in Michigan State on how say, they play. yeah,
3: and Wisconsin too. I mean, you know – you can face teams that are just doing totally different things week to week.
1: Rutgers is in that same boat. They were pretty physical as well, what they tried to do. Yeah,
3: you've got to be able to adjust on the fly and, you know, be able to – say okay we're gonna be playing maybe a lot of nickel or dime this week and and next week we're gonna be playing a lot of four three we're gonna be facing a really physical team that's a difficult thing to do so it'll I think this is a bit more experienced staff than Nebraska's old staff was so maybe they'll be able to make adjustments more quickly but until they're actually in there
1: you know facing the bullets we don't totally know yet and that's where I think Pelini's scheme you know if you were to can call some flaws on it. I think the fact that they were so married to matching personnel mm-hmm. and hurt them at times Absolutely. because, because the bucks linebacker, uh, some of the linebackers and, other players just were not utilized in, in situations like you'd maybe want to see them used.
2: Yeah, that stubbornness certainly got the best of them a few times. And uh, you know, they can look at a couple of Wisconsin games to notice exactly that. And I think that's the one good thing that we've seen about the staff, both offensively and defensively, is their willingness to adapt to what they have and not just be so set in their ways and fit square pegs into round holes that I think they'll be able to utilize the talent they have and uh, you know, not have so much pride that it's going to uh, interfere with their success the field
1: you saw I remember I remember in the Big 12 Bill Snyder tried to expose that before anybody did and who's that running back K-State it was a Daniel Thomas yeah Um, what he would do was he would have four wide receivers on the field so you'd have nickel and dime out there and then have Daniel Thomas run under center because he was trying to expose the fact Nebraska was using so many secondary players on first down second down and I think people started to do that more and more to Pelini trying to get those mismatches and 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 overpower them with you know bigger players even though they are running three and four wide receiver sets
3: yeah and and I mean some of those early Pelini defenses had a lot of success because Levante David because they have a guy like Levante David, but but they're versatile guys out there. Were guys like Dijon Gomes and Eric Hag. I mean, those are potential all conference performers. You're not going to have those guys on most teams. And when Bo's defenses didn't have those guys, not to mention obviously like Indomik and Sue or Alfonso Denner, Prince Mukamara, all those talented players. Suddenly, that scheme doesn't look quite as good anymore.
1: Yeah, how many times did we see the four fly routes with the running back dragging across the middle on the Mike linebacker? Yep, and Miami oh, last
2: year. Cle- Duke, Duke Johnson almost had like a thousand yards receiving. Yeah, I mean it was
1: every team would clear out the secondary with four fly routes, whatever you want to call them, and then the running back would just drag on the Mike linebacker and. It was your toast. Uh-huh. And that, that was always a play that just killed Nebraska. Yeah, because
2: they weren't willing to adjust, and they kept linebackers on speedy running backs who couldn't cover them.
1: And those team, I mean, people adjusted <laughs> to Nebraska. and it, yeah. So I'll be curious kind of just some of the new wrinkles we see. But that's enough Nebraska. We're going to shift over now and, and talk Big Ten West.
0: That's next here in the podcast. Hey, I heard you this is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Back here on the Husker Online Podcast, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett. We're talking now Big Ten West storylines to watch here as we head into media days, guys. And when you look at this division, um, it has lost all of its star power from a year ago. Melvin Gordon, Amir Abdullah, Kenny Bell. All guys go on to the NFL draft. David
3: Cobb, Jeremy Langford. The tight
1: end at Minnesota last year. Max Williams. Max yeah. Williams. I mean you can just go on and on and on. Um then the offensive tackle um, at Iowa that won the Outland. I mean, they they've lost Brandon Sher. Brandon yeah. Sure. I mean, they've lost. I mean, they they've football the football gods came in the Big Ten West and just said, We're taking everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's there there is uh to kind of put it into perspective. The Maxwell Award is is like the Heisman. Um, it's kind of the spin-off of the Heisman, or the Walter Camp Award, excuse me, right? It's like a spin off of the Heisman given to college football's best player. There's not one Big Ten West player on the watch list where, um, in comparison, the Big Ten East has eight uh, players that made the overall national player. Now, there are other players that have made the watch list um, from the Big Ten West, but let's start here, first of all. Um, pick the winner um, of the West, and I'll go first here on this, guys. I- I'm going to pick Nebraska. I-, I think with their home schedule, um, having some of these games at home, having Iowa at home, having Wisconsin at home with a new staff, uh, having Northwestern in Lincoln, that's huge. I mean, the Minnesota game on the road and Michigan State game in Lincoln, those are really, really big games. But I think a 6-2 and two record, with the right tiebreakers, definitely wins the West. I don't think you have to be seven and one this year. I think a six and two is going to get it done this year, and I think Nebraska can go six and two and win the West.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm taking the glass glass half full approach on how this transition is going to to go down, and uh, as long as everything you know can uh, go the way that you know we think it possibly can, you know, especially with the. the adjustment to the new offense and you know the defensive scheme settling in and uh, adjusting to the rest of the league like you said it's a pretty favorable schedule and you know i think nebraska from a talent standpoint stacks up right up there with anyone in that division and so uh, as long as they can go out there and execute not trip over their own feet uh, i think that they certainly have a pretty clear path to win a division title
3: well i'm gonna make this pretty boring i guess <laughs> and I'll, I'll pick nebraska as well really i only see three teams i think that have a legitimate shot at winning this thing. That would be Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Minnesota. Wisconsin, I think, is just replacing too much. Sean, you mentioned the new coaching staff. They have a
1: favorable schedule, though.
3: They, they do, but Melvin Gordon's gone. I don't think – they've lost a couple linemen. I don't think that line is going to be quite as strong mm-hmm. as it traditionally is. and I just don't know if Minnesota, especially after losing David Cobb, is going to have enough offensively.
1: So, I'll take Nebraska. My sleeper guys in the West is Minnesota. You mentioned them as kind of one of those teams – They're getting no preseason love coming off a Capital One Bowl year appearance where they almost beat Missouri um, in a very good performance down there in Orlando. But you mentioned they lose David Cobb. They lose Max Williams. But on paper, they have a great defense returning. It might be the best overall unit right now in the Big Ten West uh, as they've got three players on that starting 11 that are on national award watch list. Um, It's a very, very good defense. And, you know, Jerry Kill is going to put together a solid offense. He's a fantastic coach.
2: Yeah. And, you know, just to mix things up, I probably would normally go with Minnesota as well, just because I think that defense is, you know, arguably easily uh, the best unit in the West and maybe, you know, stacks right up there with Ohio State and Michigan State, too, uh, just from an overall standpoint. But my question with them is how are they going to score points? You know, they lost two of their best offensive players from a year ago and Cobb and Williams. You know, is Mitch Leidner going to be able to, you know, put up enough points to, uh, you You can't throw. Yeah, yeah. So I think if their defense is, you know, as good as we think it's going to be, they're going to have a chance. Yeah. So they're going to have to win ugly, but uh, that's kind of the Jerry Kill special. But I I think Wisconsin, how they're in the same boat as Nebraska going through a coaching change, but what separates them is they're kind of going back to, you know, the the Bielma days uh, under Paul Chris. So I think you're going to see a lot of that same uh, principles that you saw during the kind of Wisconsin heydays come back, and uh, that should prove pretty well. For you know, get, getting that thing back on track with Corey
3: Clement. I think you're cheating a little bit, calling the defending champion your <laughs> the only team rank season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but we'll go with it. And I think you know you've got a point. I mean, it's almost a process of elimination here. I mean, can you guys see any scenario in which Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, or Purdue make a run at, yeah, at, at the West? I mean, you're really limited in who you can choose here. I'm going to go with Minnesota as well for pretty much all the reasons. Let's you take mentioned, out the Sean. big three
1: though. Who do you take after Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin? Who's the sleeper after those three teams? I
3: would probably say Northwestern. Just and I don't really have any big reason for that. Just out of respect for Pat Fitzgerald, and I just don't really think anything of and of either of any of those other teams. I mean, no, ma- I maybe agree. Iowa, but I'm not in love with them
1: by any means. Northwestern either. would be my other my team outside of those top three we've already talked about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think Northwestern, Iowa, but uh, like Dan said, the chances of that actually happening are slim to
1: none. Okay, top players to watch here in the West. For me, I'm going to go Joel Stave. I think Wisconsin's quarterback situation has been kind of a, a grease fire the last year. Uh, they they could not settle on what they wanted with Gary Anderson. Stave, they really played mind games with this guy.
3: And he had the yips at this time last and year. He just <laughs> I
1: mean, he, he just wasn't the same guy. But I think with Paul Chris, he fits that system. He's a key guy in this West Division. If I mean, if if he's on, Wisconsin could be a pretty good team.
2: I'll stick with Wisconsin too, and go to Corey Clement. I mean, you talk about Nebraska's running backs filling big shoes with Amir Abdullah. I mean, he's obviously filling some pretty big shoes in his own right with Melvin Gordon and uh, the run of running backs that they've had over the years is uh, stacks right up there with any team in college football. And so the pressure is going to be on uh, Clement to really kind of you know pick up where Gordon left off. And uh, as Dan mentioned, mentioned earlier, it might not be as easy as uh, you know some people think with the offensive line turnover that they've had they've missed on some recruiting cycles you know they've had guys leave the team and so there's really a lot of inexperience up front of Wisconsin's offensive line which is something they haven't had to deal with in a long long time.
3: I'm going to cheat a little bit here and highlight a position group as opposed to just one player and that's that Minnesota secondary uh, you know b- both of you guys have talked about it if Minnesota is going to have any chance to even you know be in this thing they're probably not going to score a lot of points. It's going to come down to that defense, and you look at this secondary. They've got all kinds of guys. Probably all four starters are going to be guys who will contend to make either first or second team All-Big Ten. I think uh, Brian Body calhoun one of their cornerbacks, he could very well be first team All-Big Ten. He's a heck of a player. They've also got Eric Murray, Demarius Travis. This has a chance to be a really good defense, and if Minnesota is going to have any shot – it's going to need to live up to this. This is
1: the year for Minnesota. Oh They're yeah, going to do it because this is the final year the Big Ten will play eight conference games. After this year, they go to nine, and that's going to change the game. A lot of teams are going to get exposed in the nine-game conference schedule versus the eight game. You can't pad an extra victory, and that's where the SEC, you know, they they talk about playing eight versus nine, the top, the strength of their league. If the SEC went to nine. Um, it would change college football because a lot of those teams that are ten and two would be nine and three. Mm-hmm. Nine and three would be eight and four because you'd have twelve more or fourteen more losses on the schedule versus wins, and it would change everything. So I think this is the final year of the Big Ten being at eight conference games. When they go to nine, it's going to really change things, and I think the better teams are going to excel even more, um, and the the teams that kind of get by with the six win seven win year they're going to have a hard time with this nine game schedule. Yeah,
2: no doubt. I, I agree. And I, I think that uh, this for Minnesota, this is kind of like their 2009 Nebraska year, you know, where their defense is so good, the question marks on offense. I think if as long as they can muster up enough points, they've got a real legitimate shot to win this thing just because of the questions Nebraska's facing.
1: All right, guys, we'll close the show here next, and we will give our takes
0: here on the loaded Big Ten East. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Final segment here of the HuskerOnline.com podcast as we get ready to go to Chicago. Uh, we are previewing the Big Ten media days. We've talked Nebraska. We've talked Big Ten West. We're going to close the show here with our takes on the Big Ten East. And clearly this is the loaded division right now. Um, you've got Ohio State. You've got Michigan State. Ohio State's the defending national champion. Michigan State just won the Cotton Bowl Jim Harbaugh's in the division. James Franklin has got things rolling at at Penn State. Maryland, you know, looks like they're kind of on the upswing. Rutgers won a bowl game last year. Um, Other than Indiana, you know, who Indiana was close to going to a bowl, I mean, this this division is loaded uh, top to bottom – and you know, as we pick our winners, I don't think it's any surprise. Uh, Ohio State is my pick to win, and I mean, it's it's for obvious reasons.
2: Yeah, p- kind of a no-brainer there. They are not only the most talented team in the league, but probably in the country. And you know, they're they're built like a, a powerhouse SEC team of old, and uh, have weapons at every single position on both sides of the ball, and uh, kind of a. And I
1: believe they play Michigan State
2: in Columbus this year. Yep. Yep. And then Michigan State also plays Oregon in the non-con too, so that kind of. You know, that's potentially two losses right there for Spartans.
3: Yeah, it, it was just crazy when we were going through and doing our uh, ranking the Big Ten pieces at each position. Yeah. I mean, there was an Ohio State guy. If he, if he wasn't in the top spot at each position, he was usually second or third. It was just like clockwork. They've got so much talent on that team. I mean, you could make a pretty solid argument that they might have – if not the three best quarterbacks yeah. in the conference, three of the top four or five, and obviously only one can play. But that's how talented this team is. I think Urban Meyer is the best coach He's in the 25
1: conference. He's 25-1 in Big Ten games. It's incredible.
3: Yeah, I, I think – I don't know how you could pick anyone but them as the favorite at this point.
1: Okay, well, let's talk sleepers. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways you can go. We've already agreed, though, we're not going to include Michigan State in a sleeper conversation because they, they, they could easily win the league too. I oh, mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll throw Michigan out there. I I think Jim Harbaugh is such a wild card. I know they don't have the talent right now, but this guy has proven he can go in and mess things up. I mean, look what he did at Stanford. Um, He pretty much ran Pete Carroll out of the Pac-12. I mean, with what he did, he blew out Pete Carroll a couple times, and Pete Carroll went to the NFL after that point. Uh, But what he did at Stanford with very little talent to get them where they are at, uh, now their schedule is what concerns me. They're non-conference guys: Oregon State, Utah, BYU. Three it's not easy, and they could easily be two and two, one and three coming out of there. So you know, I'm not expecting anything more than a seven-eight-one year out of Michigan. Uh, but Harbaugh I think has the ability to really kind of be a spoiler in the in the East. Yeah, They're
2: going to they're be thorn in people's sides uh, no doubt about it and it was, for my, my sleeper I got to go Penn State and I think it's because they have their coach and James Franklin and they got their quarterback and Christian Hackenberg and I, I think that the, with those guys you know Hack, Hackenberg really kind of settling in I think we're going to finally start to see him be that elite level guy uh, that people have been you know thinking he's going to be since he was a five star recruit coming out of high school and they have weapons around him at the receiver position I think the offensive line is going to be better and that defense is always tough so they're full
1: 85 now right yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. I mean this is kind of
2: the return of Penn State and I think that they're going to make some noise and uh, again be a tough out for any team that comes and plays them
3: I'm going to go with you Sean I might be putting too much stock into the Harbaugh factor but this is a guy who at every stop he's been at it's usually those first couple years when he's at his best before his message or you know, kind of grinds into guys or his message gets stale or whatever it is. I mean, you go back, you look at even what he did at San Diego State, then going to Stanford, then going to San Francisco in the NFL, this is a guy who's always had success early on in his stops. Those first couple years have arguably been his best ones. So, yeah, the talent doesn't look like it's there at Michigan, but I just, you know, it feels like he'll find a way to scrap to a couple wins that they probably shouldn't get. And I think that that makes him kind of a dark.
1: What's course. he always say? Who's got it better than us? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. That that was his uh, motto. That uh, his father said. And I think the did the Forty Niners do that at their games? Oh yeah, oh yeah, they did.
2: They did that annoyingly, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think Maryland intrigues me though. Uh, I, I believe that they're doing things on the upswing there. I know they they they've got some talent coming back. Rutgers won a bowl game last year and. You know, looking at the East games for Nebraska, they just play two. Um, next year, in 2016, they'll start playing three. Uh, but you yeah, have Michigan State and Rutgers, and clearly Nebraska has the toughest draw of any of the West contenders, um, having to play essentially two bowl game teams um, for their uh, their cross divisional games.
2: Yeah, and you know, say what you want about Rutgers, but when you have to fly halfway across the country to play, and you know, Rutgers is November, guard, yeah, in November, that's going to be a tough game. And Nebraska is going to have to make sure they're bringing it mentally, because like you mentioned, uh, from a talent standpoint, uh, specifically Leonte Carew, who's a first round wide receiver for Rutgers, uh, they got some they got some players that I think people might not give them enough
1: credit for. And they came to Lincoln last year, and I, I felt like that travel probably got to them I mean, yeah they, they mm-hmm. it it's was,
3: it's a grind man it was in a halfway across the country i believe it
1: was an 11 a.m game mm-hmm. and that, those are hard to turn around and play on a saturday when you travel friday and you know they they had never been to lincoln and nebraska didn't play great uh, but amir abdullah if i remember right just kind of propelled them to win a win but you know the michigan state game in lincoln that's one that i'm really looking forward to to me this has become nebraska's best rival in the big 10 they've played four times they've split two and two all four games have had you know some sort of fireworks and and been fun to watch and i'm I'm looking forward to round five
3: yeah everybody kind of talks about wisconsin being nebraska's big you know yeah their biggest big 10 rival and you know those might make a little more sense because they're in the same division but as far as you know what's produced the best game so far it's been michigan state and those games have been a lot of fun and uh nebraska's found a way to win a couple of the last ones they had a chance to win it last year arguably they shouldn't have they were really getting blown out for most that game but you know now you get a chance for revenge this year you get them at home
1: and to be a rivalry i think you've got to have both sides win yeah
3: it can't be like wisconsin where you're getting blown out <laughs> by 50 points well that's out of the only
1: games. team nebraska i believe has a losing record to in the big 10 they're one in three against wisconsin yep. i believe mm-hmm. yep. um they're one and one against Ohio State. They're three and zero against Penn State. They're two and one against Michigan. Two and two against Michigan State. Two and two against Minnesota. Three and one against Iowa. Um, so they've had success against every team in this league other than Wisconsin. But the Michigan State game, just with what they've done the last two years—winning a Rose Bowl, winning a Cotton Bowl—this um, this is a huge game in Lincoln. And to me, it is the biggest game in Lincoln. It's bigger than the Wisconsin game to me, just because that will be the best team Nebraska faces all season.
2: Clearly. And, you know, looking at Michigan State, uh, if they're going to have a run this year, they're going to earn it. You know, because we mentioned the second game of the year, they're play, They're hosting Oregon. And then, of course, they play at Ohio State, the second to last game of the year. they got to play in that uh, East Division. And then, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to – then they play at Nebraska as well. So uh, they're going to have a tough road here. That's, Who's
1: their other uh, West game?
2: Uh, Purdue, Purdue. So, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. they 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 got off easy that one. But uh, clearly, Michigan State. I mean, if if they're gonna make a run this year, and if they somehow make it out of it, I think they're gonna be poised for a pretty good playoff run because they're gonna get tested from every single angle possible, especially with that defense.
1: Well, that wraps it up here, guys. Uh, Looking forward to Chicago. Uh, We'll have full coverage in next week's podcast here from the Big Ten Media Days.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.